I'm Piercy Janwell, and you're listening to Unsubscribed. Every episode, I sit down with business leaders to help you question everything you thought you knew about marketing. If you enjoy this show, please do subscribe and leave a review on YouTube or your favorite podcast player. Now, on to this episode. All right. Uh... Coming to you live from a, a very special edition of the Unsubscribe podcast. We're here in in Las Vegas for the 2023 Adobe Summit, and I'm joined with uh, none other than the Paul Wilson. It's incredible to have this you. This feels here, like Paul. a long overdue conversation Honestly, that just has that has started a decade in the making. Many years ago, at a Marketo user group. In Ottawa, yep. of all places. Right. Yeah. It's a small world. Many, many moons ago. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's great. It's good to be back in someone. It's good to be back in person after four years and yeah. getting the opportunity to connect like this. It's such a it's such a meeting point, right? Every year where you get together, it always feels like a a big reunion. It's like a high school reunion every year. And you see people, you're like, oh, look, they've yeah. lost weight. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I hope people said that about me. I don't think so. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I got two kids now. Um, yeah, no, it's great to, great to be here. And after hiatus too, we, we just wrapped up the keynote session. What did you think? Uh, yeah, every year, uh, when I see the way that Adobe looks at the world, I think that the challenges that marketing operations professionals face just explode the, the, the new capabilities and the new, it's great to see all the great new tools. But those new capabilities always drive more work for operations right. professionals because yeah. what is slick and easy on stage takes the, the support of the, those, those operations teams. So the capabilities, the AI capabilities that yeah. Adobe is rolling out. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the stuff that they showed with the ability to take, you know, the image of a tent, just sort of an, a flat image of a tent sitting on a bare floor and the capabilities of the Adobe Sensei engine to take that image and you can drop it into literally any background. The lighting adapts, mm -hmm. the colors adapt for the light, like the whole That was capability. amazing. And they, they said the whole presentation. Yeah. With the whole presentation, or at least that one slide was made all from Firefly. Yeah, right. Which is their new yeah. image generator. Yeah. And I, you know, I think that it's just all part of the ongoing future state of content and how content, be it image content or text content, all of the inputs around, um, the capabilities that machine learning can do to bring content much farther along, much easier. The, that image, when they were able to take the final image of the tent, in situ where it was on the campground and then immediately see the various display ad form formats the mobile device yeah, formats cool. all of it cool integration yeah i noticed a few times and i thought it was interesting because it, it seemed like they definitely did this on purpose but they talked about the ai as a co-pilot right it was never the ai is going to do this there was definitely a focus around the co-pilot and that right. 
marketers are going to have some part to play in this future. They never tell you that Skynet <laughs> right, is going to yeah. be able to do it all. <laughs> yeah. you know, Skynet's going to be your partner. No, I, yeah. I really, I, I believe that. I mean, I think that if machine learning engines are just being designed to speak to other machine learning engines, you don't need the human curation factor. But the human dynamic is still not something that the that that machine learning systems can comprehend. So we were we were talking a little bit about this yesterday, and then I had a, a meeting with uh, the CEO at Revenue Pulse, Joe, last night, and he, he's running a bunch of events here at Summit: some Marketo sessions, a mixology session, a dessert session. And he said to come up with these ideas, he asked ChatGPT about what he thought that it should do. And what blew my mind, because I agree with you, I think my opinion on AI is that humans know other humans and we can connect best with others and those nuances are going to be hard for the computer. But what blew my mind that Joe told me is that the events that ChatGPT recommended that he ran were the highest registered events, <laughs> which is wild. Well, I, I, I can understand the context of that because although I'm sure Joe's a brilliant guy and, and so are you, yeah. and, but the, the available scope of information that a machine learning engine has at its fingertips right just far exceeds our capabilities as generalists i think humans are generalists we need to be able to deal with you know getting the kids out of bed into school and whether or not the links are properly configured in the tokens in a marketo email like we the scope of what we need to be able to do and react to is tremendous and it's got the human variable. A machine learning engine sees data all day long and can use algorithmic views to say, well, obviously this data is more consumed than that data. So I'm going to recommend these events. Right. So it has that right. whole ecosystem, but it doesn't have to process the, the same thing that we do as humans. So yeah, absolutely. I, I, I feel I don't know if you feel this way, but I go on Twitter now and all I read is like, here's 10 great things you can do with AI yep. for marketers. Here, there's an explosion, not just ChatGPT, but a bunch of other tools that people have already packaged. Right. For me, I feel a little bit overwhelmed of like, there seems yeah. like so much to learn. Like, I like to be someone who stays ahead of things. And, you know, both of us are very early in CRM and marketing automation. And I feel we're on the cusp of this next thing. How are you kind of playing with these tools, experimenting? Right. And, and do you feel the same way I do? Yeah, I think I really fundamentally believe when you look at the speed of technology transformation in a short period of time, let's just say 20 years, mm -hmm. 20 years is not a long time. 
mean, it feels like a long time if you're 22 years old, but (laughs) 20 years is not a long period of time. And the speed of technology change in these last 20 years is just breathtaking. And I kind of feel like our technology society and we as technologists feel like chat GBT came from nowhere. Mm. But the reality is it's kind of like the, you know, middle-aged actor who's been acting for 20 years and not getting great parts. And then all of a sudden gets that part. And they and everyone's response is, where's this guy been? And he's like, I've been doing right. TV commercials. Yeah, yeah. I've been doing stage plays. Like it's been around and it's yeah. been growing and it's, GPT has hit that tipping point where we're all paying attention now because it has matured to a place where we can see practical applications for it. So for me, the, the next phase is it's not going to go away now that it's hit that inflection point. What do we as marketing operations, marketing technologists do to adapt our environments? to now take advantage of this new framework of content that is going to come our way. So that's the way I look at it. I'm totally mystified that it's here, but now my question is, okay, how do we operationalize it? What do we do with it? How do we become the co-pilots? Right. Yeah, I mean, and I've seen over the years, AI, I mean, people were caught, even in the MarTech space, calling their applications AI-powered. And usually it sounded great, but you tried it, and it was usually pretty lackluster. Like I can't think of any great applications where I'm like, this is amazing. But it feels to me now like ChatGPT is at a level where it's good enough that it is mind-blowing. Right. To the point where you use it once and it's it's such an experience. It's right. almost like going on the internet for the first time. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think that it's that transformative moment that we're all kind of feeling. And the, the algorithm's ability to humanize the results that we get, I think, is what we're seeing as different. Because you uh, basically, it's a hyperactive Google search. I mean, you're searching the internet for content. And instead of it being a response that's a bunch of links to relevant articles, what the engine is doing is it's saying, okay, you want to know about how to raise a puppy? It's going to synthesize the best results like you would in a Google search. And instead of just letting you go and consume the results, it's got a framework to synthesize that and give you those suggested eight best steps to raise a puppy. It's amazing. Our, our development team at NAC is already using it. And I don't know why, but I felt like they would be a little resistant to it of like, well, we're, we write the code. But I feel out of everyone, they've almost embraced it the most, sure. like the quickest. They, they've told me they've, if there's a bug, they can put it into chat GPT and say, find the bug. Wow. And it's, it's accurate and it's saving them 
right? Days of time already. Well, your engineering team has discovered it. Every high school teenager has also right, discovered right, it. Right, yeah. <laughs> I'm never writing an essay again. Right? And <laughs> what's very interesting is the idea of what digital literacy will mean. Because I think, to your point, where humans were problem solvers in code before, now it's optimization and mm. the ability to move some of that, for lack of a, this is not meant to be disrespectful of coders, but that grunt work of fixing bugs. To me, it's very similar if I look, uh, you know, from a marketer's lens of, you know, the, the random ad hoc pieces of content that BDRs are trying to fling out into the world to get some sort of a response. Like that content, that idea of a BDR, you know, knowing that they want to send a note to Pierce. So they'll go on LinkedIn and see if there's anything new in Pierce's feed. Right. Nothing new there. Go to NAC. Nothing new in the NAC feed. Well, maybe there's something new interesting in the general email space. Oh, look, there's an interesting send you the piece of content right. saying, Hey, Pierce, have you seen this? Would you have time next Tuesday for a call? Like, some of that grunt work related to content is is going to start being generated automatic, yeah, automatically. It's amazing. Yeah. I, I'm thinking now, you know, how do I empower the whole company with AI? Like, do we get everyone in the company licenses to chat GPT and do training around it or well you, you wouldn't know, want like people sharing of... licenses right <laughs> yeah no no of course not <laughs> yeah. well I, th I think that's <laughs> a really will come after me that's an do. interesting question like i think that the the applications shouldn't only fit the available technology solutions today so it may be that in your support organization because chat gpt at the moment the OpenAI framework only applies to content available on the internet up to yeah. like 2021. So it doesn't know the context of what your support team needs to say to someone when they've got an issue and they need to have it addressed. So, you know, your support team probably isn't yet ready for AI, but when the OpenAI framework can adapt and include not only internet content, but specific intranet type content from your CRM that shows all the case histories to be able to provide a response that's more contextual. That's where I think the ability to deploy AI across the business is going to expand. What I would say in this fiscal year is you need to incorporate it into the plan. You need to start saying, okay, where can machine learning content improve customer experience and business development and then start making sure that those teams have the operational capacity to leverage machine learning content yeah. and, and, and apply it to the business. I would also say if you start doing that, be really transparent to yeah, the customers yeah, and prospects sure. that you're talking to to say, hey, you know, this case suggestion brought to you by NAC GPT. <laughs> and, you know, was this good? Like, ensure that there's some feedback. But I think that businesses, particularly in your size of organization, right. as you're scaling and, and going out into the market and growing, you absolutely need to plan to adapt that into the way that you go to market. I feel we could talk all day about the AI stuff. I would like to switch gears a little bit because I think you have such an interesting story 
of of your career and where you started and w- what you're doing now i'd love to just hear more about your your experience and and how you ended up you know as a vp marketing ops at one trust sure uh you know it's a it's a i think it's a an interesting i mean because it's mine i think it's an interesting journey just because it's not curated it's not crafted you know so again going back to the idea that 20 years ago is not that far you know if i if i roll back the clock 20 years ago um i was in sales i was helping build inside sales organizations for a division of nortel and in that organization at that time we were using hoovers as a website where you would go and try to get information about companies that you wanted to talk to we had very rudimentary crm systems that were available to us and you know i started bumping into the challenge of how to use information and technology to enable the inside sales organization that i was growing to be able to be more authentic and connect to the people that they were trying to connect to and have those conversations start right and you know from those early days being in sales and building sales organizations i morphed into being that salesperson who was always trying to get the person running the CRM to make changes to update things to add a field to give me more data to do things and that need pushed me on to sort of the other side of the formula so i was and that an must act- have been very early days in the CRM yeah space. we're talking 2001 2002 wow so i had a salesforce instance in 2001 you know wow. an early free trial of salesforce um and you know sales was an accidental career for me i really enjoyed explaining things to people so i was sort of an educator salesperson i was not a you know typical type a salesperson and so helping train sales people was you know definitely a a, a great role for me it was a good fit and i started being the inside sales person or inside sales manager who also was the crm administrator so in a small startup in ottawa uh, called dna 13 i was owning salesforce then we started using a marketing automation tool called vtrends which was then bought by silverpop which was then bought by ibm but you know we had <laughs> vtrends and then we went to hubspot and i was tinkering with how to incorporate the two platforms of marketing automation and crm so you were in the right place at the right time as with the as right problem salesforce right pro yeah there's a good problem you were you were implementing that at a company yep. then what happened yeah so the company that i was working for dna 13 was acquired and i kind of took that as my opportunity to leap and you know the the expression leap in the net will appear happened for me so i decided that i wanted to do crm consulting i wanted to be a for hire salesforce administrator and the company that acquired us hired me to uh, migrate the salesforce instance that we had had into their larger salesforce instance and then i stuck around selling blocks of hours to them 
to help them in their CRM implementation. It gave me the opportunity to be in a larger implementation of Salesforce and and hone my skills on what those challenges looked like. Uh, And then, you know, I just started getting by word of mouth additional customers. So I was a Salesforce uh, consultant for, for many years. And then in around 2011, uh, I had an opportunity to really focus in on um, marketing automation and CRM. So I did a couple of HubSpot consulting gigs, a couple of Eloqua gigs, a couple of migrations. And when you did that, when you saw marketing automation for the first time, did it feel like the first time you saw CRM? Were there similarities there or... You know, I, I'd imagine you were going along, you were getting new customers, you were doing a lot with Salesforce. What prompted you to get into marketing automation? What was really interesting is that was, you know, kind of the early days of website telemetry. So we had the kinds of tools that could tell you when a specific company was on your website. I mean, right. this was this was yeah, yeah. mystical capabilities. I remember we used to use like Leadlander yep. at one of the companies, and I remember the salespeople loved yeah. that. And so there was there were these new technologies that were coming from the marketing side, and Salesforce as a platform was like opportunities and accounts. Hey, I mean, there's leads and everything, but right. you know, like the the whole focus was revenue. And the marketing tools looked at the idea of the ability to see behaviors and how do you then translate, oh, well, these people seem more interested. So it started adding shape to the funnel and the ability to say, okay, well, you know, telling the sales organization, these companies, you you may think you want to go after these hundred companies, but if I look at the companies who have been on our website for the last 30 days, only three of those hundred have been here. So yeah, you can keep going and knocking on those doors, but you should look at the companies who are already here. And so that was that dawn of inbound marketing and HubSpot right. led that, that drive. So SEO optimization. And so that whole lens of what the website was capable of and how do you then translate it into nurturing that engagement to people actually talking to a salesperson. So the technology exploded that whole top end of the funnel world. And I mean, we now, let's go back to our conversation earlier about where Adobe sits today. Like the trillions of touch points of data that are available that companies today can leverage putting them into a data warehouse to then point a machine learning algorithm to to be able to say, all right, well, here's the next best piece of content for you. Here's what the salesperson should talk to you next. Like little did I know 10 years ago that that was the, the dawn of where we would get to today. But all of the technology technology challenges that I've encountered in that in the last 12 years of technology change has really just been a part of the landscape getting broader. And I've had the great opportunity to, in my career, advance to larger organizations when getting to work at Marketo, getting to go through the Marketo acquisition into Adobe and that adaptation. So another migration project. I'd love to dig in more there, just what that experience was like working at Marketo during 
uh, what must have been an exciting time having Adobe acquire right. acquire the company. Well, it was it was a, a really again I can't say that my journey has been a curated journey. It was really just the the great chances of the people that I've met and the people I get to get to know. Um, I developed a kind of an esoteric skill set around Microsoft Dynamics as a CRM with Marketo. Yes. And it's rare, a rare breed of consultant who yeah. knows that. And so having that skill set was fortuitous for me because the partners organization of Marketo realized that more partners needed to understand how to support Dynamics customers. And so I joined the partners organization to, you know, help develop more partners that had that skill set, you know, helped further the, the certification programs and everything related to the partners team. And parallel with that, Marketo itself was undergoing a transformation of needing to re-engineer our own Salesforce instance. And the decision was made while doing that to move off of the then decade plus old original Marketo instance for Marketo and move on to a new instance. And I happened to be in the right place at the right time with the wow. right skill set. So you built the new Marketo instance that Adobe uses today. Well, no. So through the acquisition, yeah. Marketo moved to its own new Marketo instance, yeah. which survived into the acquisition. Okay. At the time of acquisition, Marketo sorry, Adobe decided they needed their own Marketo instance. So then a, a whole new instance was set up that, yes, I was heavily involved in Marketo Customer Zero, the MCZ instance of Marketo for Adobe. And that's a pretty cool uh, claim to fame. Boy. I mean, you just kind of brushed over that, but that's that's pretty awesome. It's a, it's a great opportunity. And, you know, those, 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 that's what I'm saying. Those are those moments that I can't try to take any credit yeah. for I happen to get those great opportunities. So um, that's amazing. Yeah. Having kind of been on both sides, the consulting side, the client side, mm -hmm. the vendor, you know, that all of us know. What I mean, you must have some unique perspectives that you you've got from being on all of those different sides. Is there anything you can share with us? Like what, what was the biggest learning, biggest light bulb moment having been kind of full circle? Yeah, that, I think there's two. One is what we do is hard. This is very difficult. There are no simple playbooks. A Marketo implementation is a blank whiteboard. It does not come preset. It isn't like, HubSpot or some of the other systems that come with canned capabilities that are then limited. Marketo is an open slate. And the challenges that marketing operations teams face on a daily basis are technical complexity, data complexity, process complexity, and the marketers themselves sabotaging unintentionally everything that you're trying to curate and own and build. So the first thing is what we do is hard. And as professionals, I think we should, we should enjoy 
the scars that we have. I think we should feel proud of the work that we've done because it is, it's, it's a difficult space that we're in. And the second is having been in so many of the different angles of what the conversation is, agency side, customer side, vendor side, the, the patience that's needed to get to what is really important is I think time. is is a very important part of the, the the work because you could hear a requirement and quickly say I know exactly what has to happen go and build it and deploy it and it's completely wrong it's pushing through and really finding out what what is what are you trying to make actually happen the business outcome yeah. the value the the complex nurture yeah you know all of those things it's all about patience to go as far as you can and ask the really good questions to get all the information before you think you got it figured out yeah that's great great perspective and and unique i don't think there's that many people who who have been in all of those places yeah. um yeah we we've been fortunate to to get to work together uh having you as a, a NAC customer mm -hmm. at a few different companies now can you maybe share, you know, what were some of the challenges that you were facing at, at Slack and at OneTrust yeah. that made you think? Because although we knew each other from back in the day in Ottawa, we, we weren't, you know, in super tight That's right. connection. And, and I remember one day Brendan told me, hey, I'm talking to Paul Wilson. I, I, I know that guy. Right. I, I, so in those two examples, Slack and OneTrust, they're, they're, they're different, um, but they really, I think, do really highlight the strengths of Mac as a platform. Um, at, at Slack, there was the, the acquisition of the move into Salesforce. So some of the backend systems were probably going to adapt. So the idea of being able to use NAC as a persistent layer where marketers didn't need to worry so much about what was happening in the back end, which is very important when we start talking about OneTrust. But for Slack, that was a secondary element. But the main, the main element was really facilitating that self-serve capability for marketers to generate assets on their own in an approval framework. And so it's it's easy to deploy the capability to let marketers build things the conversation of whether or not you want to put them in that platform is a dip conversation for a different day but yes marketers are able to go and do something in a platform to make an email or a landing page exist that is true you can deploy that but in specific or particularly in larger organizations and enterprise organizations getting the asset to exist is only one third of the journey. Getting it to be properly reviewed, approved, and all of the minutia that goes back and forth related to that is another third. And then protecting and ensuring the brand compliance and the standards compliance is the other third. And so, yes, they can create an email, but that ignores the other parts of the work. And so for Slack, yeah. that was really the, the important components and the capabilities of having NAC 
integrated in Slack was also mm, great. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we built that integration. So, so that was important. <clears throat> For OneTrust, we had, um, when we started the journey with NAC, we had an existing set of four MarTech infrastructures. So we had, through acquisition, two HubSpots and a Marketo instance, and OneTrust on Eloqua. And so there were four complete MarTech infrastructures. And we were working through the the effort to collapse those into one new Marketo instance. So deploying NAC allowed us to, to put that consistent layer of how to build a landing page and build an email, regardless of what system was going to actually deploy it. Marketers only needed to be trained once. And the, the ability to then deploy the approval framework and everything else right. was down the road. But the main thing for OneTrust was that capability of having that single panel and different systems in the background because marketers were starting to market different brands. So they would have to know how to do an email in HubSpot and how to do an email in Eloqua. And so we didn't want to have to do that one layer and then they can deploy it wherever it had to go. So every year we do our, our email benchmark study which is um, a way for marketers to kind of be able to see how they measure up against their peers in terms of their open rates, click-throughs, unsubscribe. And one question we ask everybody is like, how are you building emails and landing pages? And I think it's still something like 70% of the, the marketers out there are using templates to build their emails and landing pages. As someone with experience using a, a creation platform like Knack, what would you say to those marketers who are still using templates? They're rigid. They are um, stifling to an extent. You know, you don't have the capability to be creative. And that lack of the visual creativity being there means you're going to generate common feeling content very repeatedly. And as content goes stale, engagement goes stale. I think the ability to have an adaptive framework where brand standards can be respected, but you can still have creativity and influence on what is shown is great. And I think that the simple isn't always better. And having the capability and the flexibility that NAC provides is something that it, I don't think marketers really consider as part of the brand experience. They think of it as whether it's easy or hard for me to get an email out the door. What does that email look like? Mm -hmm. What is it going to feel like to receive? If it's the same template over and over again, I'm not reading your email. Mm -hmm. So the ability to, to infuse that creativity is going to mean that you're you're adapting, you're changing. The experience is going to change too. It's not always the same. I love that. Another thing we hear a lot is marketers, you know, using test emails or annotated PDFs mm -hmm. as collaboration for for building out assets. Again, I, I'd love just your perspective on what what do you think marketers should be looking for when they're looking to collaborate in 2023? 
Well, I think that that's, that's, a, that's kind of a loaded question. First, I'm sure it's different in every organization. Yeah. So systems don't force collaboration. Systems facilitate collaboration. So we'll park the loaded question part of it depends on the organization. Mm -hmm. I think the capability of the collaboration and the way that it is incorporated into the discussion is what's critical. An annotated PDF is extra work down the road because when you look at it and you see, oh yeah, that's a good thought. Okay, I've got to go in here. I've got to do these things. Like you're in two, at least two platforms. Whereas if the commentary is adjacent, you can have more discussion. You can have immediately to blow up. Do you mean it look like, you know, should it look like this? So you can really test faster and develop those assets better, I'd say. Mm -hmm. And then lastly, maybe just the touch on the brand. You mentioned trying to have that one brand experience as someone who's, who's architecting the system to achieve that. Mm -hmm. How do you think about that and, and what's important to you? Say? Yeah, I mean, OneTrust has just gone through, um, you know, I, I alluded to the, the brands through acquisition. So we had a number of different brands. Those brands were brought into the OneTrust brand, um, sort of the end of last year. And then we refreshed that one brand. So the the ability to provide marketers with a set of drag and drop brand approved modules that ensures links are the right color, fonts are controlled the way that they need to be, color palettes are accessible and available, means we can deploy a broader set of brand standard capabilities for marketers to choose layouts that they feel will be most engaging for the content they're developing. It doesn't have to be that every webinar invite looks exactly the same. Every piece of nurture content looks the same. It, it allows for different teams to have different expressions of the brand that still fit within the brand guidelines. Yeah. Without them needing to ask for my team to generate an another template in <laughs> Marketo, we can yeah. give them the ability to have that flexibility themselves. When you enable self-service as a marketing ops leader, what does that mean for the marketing ops team? Right. For you, for the people on your team, what does that mean? What What does that give you? It there's really two core things that I see and I've seen through the years. The first thing is it takes my team out of the business of moving the and from the end of this sentence down to the start of the next one. <laughs> because yeah. a lot of the marketer feedback is, is based in opinion. It's, well, I don't really like the look of that. Can we try it this way? My team is trying to get emails shipped. We, we don't want to be in the period movement business. We need marketers to be able to do that on their own. So that's, that's the first element. The second element is 
an offshoot of that is my team can then develop better enhanced nurture capabilities. We can build engines that are more adaptive to the behaviors we see so that we can tell the marketers, actually, you need a whole other nurture stream because there's, there's this group of people who are kind of falling off that are still engaging. We can do more related to the email experience if we aren't busy making sure that the and moves from this down to there. So amazing. Those are the two things. Yeah, it, it's amazing. I, I feel like you, you are, you were at the beginning of, of the CRM kind of boom, if you right. call it that, the beginning of the marketing automation Let era. Let me turn my hearing aid up here. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and, and I, I really think the way that you're setting your team up, your marketing ops team to focus on those high value activities that they can do and empowering and delighting your marketers to do the marketing that they really want to do in the first place. It, it, it's, it's amazing to see. And we're really excited to be part of that. And I, we have a session this week in mm -hmm. a couple of days with, with uh, Don from Meta, which I, I'm looking forward to. And he right. talks a lot about delighting the marketer. Right. And I think yeah. that's when, when you're saying, Hey, they're not having to send emails to move words around and they're able to yep. use their creativity i think it's a showing that you're delighting the marketers there well too. we're looking forward to delighting more than just the marketers right because the brand experience goes beyond just the marketing team so that's been our core focus to date but we're looking to extend that brand experience capability for other teams to self-serve to develop content using mac so that the experience that you get with a OneTrust CSM or the experience from a salesperson or this experience of the look and feel of a support case, all of that, we're looking to extend those capabilities to ensure that that brand experience is consistent across all of those teams. And for the people out there, why can you only do that with NAC? Assuming you've watched this whole video, coming back to the content of the idea that, you know, we had multiple marketing automation platforms and we wanted to deploy one layer for marketers to develop their content in. There's nothing stopping those from being salespeople or CSMs developing their content. And it's that same capability to ensure that they can be creative, but they can be creative with the, the guardrails of mm -hmm. brand. Right. And then every email doesn't look the same. And I think that enhancing the extent of brand experience beyond just marketing means that brand feels deeper mm -hmm. when it feels the same across those other teams. I'd love to move on to our rapid fire oh, yes. questions. We ask every guest, so we can't get you, let you off the hook there. So the first one is email dead. No. Even at that. <laughs> uh, what is one where it's the unsubscribe podcast? So what's right. one marketing trend you would unsubscribe from? It's not, I'm not going to blame marketing. It's the barrage of emails that I get from unknown people saying mm. great things like, hey, 
Paul, I see we're in the same space. You breathe oxygen and I breathe oxygen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Can we have a time next Tuesday? To, like You're on LinkedIn. I'm on LinkedIn. That's right. We should connect. That's right. Unsubscribe. <laughs> Who is one person that you admire in the business community and why? Huh. Um, well, peers, you know, so... I mean, I do a little bit cheesy, but you know, the, the, the Ottawa story, the, the, the way that you've developed your business and the, the reputation of, you know, not only the knack brand, but revenue pulse to be a authentic, good company, not only just to work for, but the experience as customers. I, I mean, I gotta, I gotta I'm give flattered. you props for that. I'm flattered. Thank so you. I'll give Thank that. You. Um, who who is one other person that we should have on the unsubscribe podcast? That's a great one. Uh, I would say, and I'm going to embarrass myself by saying I don't know if you have or not had them, but Justin Norris. I haven't had Justin, but yes, I know Justin, and I, I he he was you you guys must have we worked, worked together at Percuto at together. Percuto, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd love to have Justin on. Now, if you can arrange to take Justin to breakfast in Montreal and mm. and do the recording there. I guarantee it'll be. <laughs> okay. Try that out. Paul, I, I've loved this conversation. We covered a lot of ground there, starting off with the Adobe Summit, yep. which is where we are right now. Some of the highlights from the keynote, we talked about AI and how you how people can get started, how they can think about that, how how mm-hmm. AI can be that trusted co-pilot. Right. Uh, it was super interesting to hear just your career progression and all the amazing experiences you've had at Marketo and Adobe and Salesforce. And I loved I loved hearing about how our customers use NAC and mm-hmm. how it's helping them at their companies. So Thank you for for joining us. Thank you for being a, a, a visionary in the marketing ops space. I can talk about and this all day long. This was great. Was I awesome. really, and it, like I said, this is long overdue. Yeah. And this is our first episode ever in person. And it's way better than a Zoom. I got to say that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Awesome. awesome. So thanks so great. much. Yeah. Thanks. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Unsubscribed, a podcast created by Knack. If you enjoyed this episode of Unsubscribed, be sure to subscribe to my podcast and leave a review on your favorite podcast player. If you have any feedback or want to chat, feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn or follow me on Twitter at marketing underscore 101. Cheers.